Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hi, everybody. This is Marnie Swedberg. I welcome you to another edition of Marnie's Friends. And our guest today, Yvonne Ortega, is going to be talking with us about how to effectively write about your painful past. And this is for authors, for blog writers, for uh, anybody who ever writes anything. Um, This is great training if you have a painful past and you're just wondering how to carefully and effectively share that. So during the next hour, you're going to discover the first thing to consider before writing about your painful past, a mistake to avoid, an issue to settle before you even get started, two precautions to take, what to acknowledge and what to admit, two items to include throughout your writing, the two things the reader needs to know from you, and what you must provide the reader throughout your article or book in order to make writing about your painful past both effective and safe for you and the reader. Our guest today, Yvonne Ortega, has survived and thrived after breast cancer, divorce, single parenting, and the death of her only child. She has taught at major Christian writing conferences in the USA, and you can learn more about her at her website, YvonneOrtega.com. And you spell Yvonne, Y-V-O-N-N-E, Ortega.com. Welcome to you, Yvonne. Thank you. Great well, to be with you, Marnie. Yeah, this is not maybe the most um, fun topic ever, but it <laughs> sure is relevant. It sure is relevant for people who have learned through their painful past, who have grown past it uh, to the point of having scars instead of open gaping wounds. And we really want to talk during this hour to those who are ready now to take that message to the public, whether they're writing and a lot of people use what they write then to speak. So as we go through this, uh, first of all, you've actually had a pretty tough, um, you know, you have your own painful past <laughs> that you're bringing to the table. So maybe talk to us just a few minutes about experience. Let's just go with um, the one that is so glaringly difficult, the death of your only child. After that, how long do you feel like it was before you could write about it uh, for publication? It was six years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It truly was. And what it was was a question of readiness. Could I do this without an emotional, physical, or spiritual collapse? And I had tried to write about it. I had tried to speak about his death and I found myself sobbing at my laptop. I went which, back to which God makes and I perfect said, sense. Yeah. yeah, I said, God, this is my only child. I know now how you must have felt when your only child, your mm. only son died on the cross. But but you stood there and you you allowed it to happen and you used it for good. And so now 
I want you to take the loss of my only child, my precious son, and and use it for good and let me know when I'm ready. Hmm. It just makes me cry to think about this. Um, And I'm sure, you know, six years probably seems amazingly fast to others who have lost a child um, to be able to share it. But we're going to talk about how you got there, how you knew you were there, and listeners, how you can know that you're ready to as we go through this hour. Yvonne, let's begin with the first thing to consider before writing about your painful past. What is the very first thing? Are you ready? (laughs) And and you know, it seems like such a simple yes or no question, but in reality, Marnie, it is a difficult one. For 10 years, I made several attempts to write for publication about my painful domestic violence marriage. Well-meaning people encouraged me to do so, and they said, Yvonne, you need to hurry up and you need to do this. You will help countless women. You will give them hope. Each time I tried, I would have flashbacks. I would tremble. At night, I would have nightmares. I would wake up in a cold sweat. And so I started and stopped several times. And I, I just went to God and I said, if I'm in such a fragile state, obviously either I'm not called to do this or it isn't time yet. Five years ago, I tried again. But I had that same reaction of flashbacks, nightmares, trembling. And I wrote to my writing mentor, Cease Murphy. I told him what was going on, Mm -hmm. and he advised me to put it all aside. He said, Yvonne, it's okay. Just wait. You will know when you're ready. And I thought, well, I know that angels are not going to become blowing trumpets, but how will I know? (laughs) And then I knew. Last year, I felt such a calling from the Lord. Money. I canceled all kinds of things. I cut out so much activity because I knew that the time had come and the Lord had given me his divine nod. Go ahead, dear mm. daughter. It's time. Mm. And Beautiful. And go ahead. You know, I said, well, what I need to know for sure is that when I start writing, will I be able to offer them comfort, hope, peace? He said, yes. And not only will you write about the domestic violence marriage, you will also write about the loss of your only child. Mm. So both of those came almost at the same time then, the freedom. Yes. Yes. Wow. Well, you would have never think that. You would you would think that that maybe you could get one and then maybe the other later. <laughs> so to have them both come at the same time had to be pretty profound for you. Truly every word, every paragraph, every page was bathed in prayer. 
And I would start each day saying, God, you called me to this. You told me I'm ready. And so now I'm going to trust you for the wisdom, the discernment, the strength that I need to do this as you want it. Now, you have already two books called uh, Finding Hope for Your Journey Through Breast Cancer and Moving from Broken to Beautiful, Nine Life Lessons to Help You Move Forward. Are you writing another book? Yes, I am working on one on forgiveness right now, and I'm halfway through it. And, Marnie, I am so excited about that book for so many reasons. And one of them is the fact that I know that I know that I know I have forgiven my ex-husband. I have forgiven those who hurt me. That's exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting, and it it brings a lot of freedom with it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But um, definitely for those of you who are just joining us, the first thing to consider before writing about your painful past is, are you really ready? And... What is a mistake that writers need to avoid when touching on a topic that's painful to them personally? As a writer, each of you needs to answer a divine call. That call means you minister to those you write and speak for. So with that awesome responsibility, your articles or books cannot be therapeutic journaling. Hmm. There's a place for therapeutic journaling, but not for publication. And how does, um, like, do you have like a litmus test? If If you're writing and you just, all of a sudden you think, now I wonder really if this is, (laughs) <laughs> writing or business therapeutic journaling. Do you have like a question that you ask yourself to clarify that in your own mind? Well, Marnie, I had it brought to my attention years ago when I spoke about my painful past to a small group of women, just a handful of them in my home. A dear friend, and only a friend, could say this in love and help me see it. And she said, Yvonne, it sounds like you're still going through the pain. It's not completely healed. Mm. So she said, my interpretation of that was, Yvonne, it's journaling you're doing. You're writing to feel better, but you are not writing or speaking to help others feel better. That's the test. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And I, I think about emotional pain in the same way as I think about physical pain. So after someone has a bad break of a leg, let's say, they go through the season where, you know, you're in the emergency room and then you got a cast on and then you got to walk with crutches and maybe you move to a walking cast and then maybe you move to, a, you know, just a, a splint or a, a little, you know, help in the shoe. Finally, you're ready to walk, but maybe not ready to run yet. And then finally one day, 
you're all back on the track or on the sidewalk or on the pavement running and your leg feels great. Now you can still remember all that pain. You definitely maybe have a, you know, a few stitches or scars from your accident, but you are back on the road again. And really emotionally we have the same type of process that goes on. And if we start running when we're still in a cast or in a walking cast or just barely out of one, it's really going to cause us damage. And it's it's not, like you say, it's not really going to be too helpful for other people who are counting on us as part of their team. Uh, so, right. so I just love, I love what you're saying and it's such good advice. We're going to take a short break here and talk, come back and talk about an issue to settle before you even begin to write about your painful past. And it's different from Are You Ready? It's kind of a different thing. So don't go away. We're just going to come right back and talk about that and continue with this program, how to effectively write about your painful past. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we're visiting today with my guest, Yvonne Ortega of YvonneOrtega.com, and you spell her name Y-V-O-N-N-E. Yvonne, we were talking right before the break about uh, avoiding the mistake of, of writing or going public with your painful past too soon, and there's really an issue that is is heavy on your heart that's so important that a writer addresses and settles before they begin writing about their painful past. What is that? Oh, Marnie, that is the issue of forgiveness. And it may be the hardest thing the writer will do. However, it's God's will that you forgive those who hurt you just as he has forgiven you. And when I studied the Bible about this, you know, Marnie, when I first went at it, I wanted to find a loophole. I wanted to find an exception. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was hoping it would be an invitation, but not a command. Mm-hmm. But the more, <laughs> the more I studied the scriptures on forgiveness, I realized God does not invite us to forgive. He commands us to forgive. And then I looked at John fourteen fifteen, and it says, if you love me, keep my commands. Well, I trembled before the Lord. I said, oh, Lord, I love you and I want to show it. I know this is going to be the battle of my life, but help me through it. And God took me to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. I looked at that and it says, God tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. And Marnie, when God says all, he means 
all. We can't com- compartmentalize our hurts, our pains. Well, I'll, I'll do it in this area, but I, I won't do it in that one. And when God says every form of malice, he means every form. God doesn't allow exceptions to the rule. He doesn't provide loopholes. And part of that passage says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And notice he doesn't say, be kind and compassionate to those we like. Be kind and compassionate to those who never hurt us. He simply says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And he ends that powerful passage of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, just as in Christ, God forgave you. We know God forgave us of all of our sins, not just some of them. And when he forgave us, it was a done deal. He didn't go back the next day and says, no, and say, no, remember when you did such and such? Oh, that's such a hard process. Marnie, I didn't want to forgive my ex-husband initially. Sadly, I hoped he would die. And I mention this because it is important for the reader to know that you as an author are a fallen person in a fallen world. You are not perfect. If you don't admit your struggle with forgiveness, your reader may feel discouraged or hopeless. He he won't be able to identify with you. And I remember the day God impressed on my heart that I must not only forgive my ex-husband, but I had to pray for him. I didn't want to pray for him. Only God could have made it possible for me to forgive and to pray for him daily. And how did I resolve this issue of praying for him, forgiving for him? God showed me 1 Peter 3, 9. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I looked at that verse and I said, I don't want to miss out on God's blessings. Mm. (laughs) I only have one choice. Forgive Mm. the man. Pray for him. And Yvonne, as you you went through as you went through that process as you went through that process um, I'm sure that it had, you know, many steps forward and many steps back and that it you know, took quite a long time to do that. As you went through the process of forgiving him, was there anything, maybe a catchphrase or you've mentioned some verses that were helpful, was there anything that was especially helpful in helping you to release the sadness, the the anger, the resentment that you had? Yes. All I knew was I didn't want unforgiveness 
to ruin my life and make me an emotional cripple and, and a spiritually empty person. And I realized, with God's help, that it was affecting me physically. I was losing weight and losing more weight, at too much weight. I couldn't sleep at night. Sometimes I would snap at other people, not because I was upset with them, but because I was upset with my ex-husband. And mm-hmm. I thought, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be doubled over in pain the rest of my life. And I don't want anything. Yeah. You know, I don't want anything to stand between me and God. As you're talking and thinking about how all of God's laws, all of God's laws are there for our protection. They seem like they're party pooper laws or whatever, but they're really not. (laughs) They are really there to protect us. And as you're describing your motivation for forgiving, it was really this partnership with God was your main motivation that God told you to. And then the reasons for it, you could see even before you did it, you could see that you would be more free if you did. So what what were the compelling reasons not to forgive? I mean, when you're going forward and you can see, you know, I want to do it because of God. I, I want to do it because it'll help me be healthier and happier and all this. What were some of the what were some of the reasons that kept you stuck for as long as you stayed stuck? And and honestly, you know, you did great. So I'm not I'm not trying to make it sound like you didn't go fast enough. But we all have our own journeys. And as you right. as you were still trying to forgive, but couldn't really do it. What were some of the things that really made it hard? Triggers. I would remember things he had said or done to me or to our mm-hmm. child. Those would be difficult times, and I'd go back before God, and I would say, God, why should I forgive him? He hasn't even asked for forgiveness. Right. And God would say, neither did you when my son died on the cross for you. <laughs> right. Right, right. And then I would say, well, look at all he did. Why should I forgive him? The way he spoke to us, the way he treated me. And God would say, have you been perfect? Of course I hadn't been perfect. And so each time I would go before him... And I would say, but this, but that, God. And he would say, but I told you, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Hmm. And I, I remember. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I remember, I remember one time really struggling with forgiveness and it was back to what you had said. He hasn't even asked for forgiveness. It was uh, with a lady, and she hadn't asked for forgiveness. In fact, she did not think she had done anything wrong. And I mm. remember really struggling with that because it didn't seem fair. In fact, it wasn't about being fair. I just thought, God, you know, God actually says that we need to ask for his forgiveness before it's applied to our account, that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an action that we take. And I remember the moment when I understood, though, that 
all of the deciding had been done long ago. So when I come to Christ and I ask him for forgiveness for being a jerk to him, he doesn't say, let me think about it. Or, you know, just how sorry are you? You know, or what are you going to do to make it up to me? He doesn't have any of those thought processes going on because the decision to forgive me was about him being a forgiver, not about me being a worthy recipient. Did you ever experience anything like that? Yes, and I can remember the time that I sat before the Lord. I would go to the beach day after day and just cry my eyes out and journal and read Bible verses and and talk to God. And I sat there one day, and something came up in Scripture, and I just said, God, want to be a prisoner of the past. I don't want to be shackled to someone I refuse to forgive. And I said, God, I've made so many mistakes in my life. And there have been times when I have deliberately done or said something knowing full well it was wrong. So who am I? Yeah. Who am I always well, we, to withhold? We serve, we serve a we serve a great God who's been very forgiving to us and and really does ask us and command us to forgive others, both because it reinforces what He's done for us in our own minds, how hard it is to forgive, and also <laughs> also it positions us for freedom. And uh, we're going to take a little break and come back and talk about uh, what to two precautions you can take, what to acknowledge and admit, and two items to include throughout your writing as you're writing about your painful past. So don't go away. We're going to come right back. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian Women's Events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie and our guest today, Yvonne Ortega, is here talking with us about how to effectively write about your painful past. Yvonne, we've been talking about forgiveness, and we're going to go forward now and talk about a couple ways or a couple precautions that we should take uh, as we go ahead and begin to write or speak about the past that we've been through that's been, you know, up until this time, you know, very crippling, and now we're moving past that into a place of health and wholeness. What are a couple precautions to take? The first precaution, Marnie, when writing about your painful past, is to get the facts right. Mm. And I advise a writer to 
check the facts of your stories with siblings and other relatives. Check with neighbors, friends, teachers, classmates, coworkers, but do check. I remember after the legal separation, two people in the service department at the car dealer told me they were appalled at the way my husband treated me in public. A woman in a department store also mentioned a couple of incidents. And my parents said they were relieved they wouldn't have to call each day to make sure I was still alive. Mm -hmm. Those people witnessed a minor portion of the abuse that occurred in my marriage, but they confirmed that I had the facts right because there were times he he would say, well, I don't know why that bothers you. Well, I didn't do anything. And the second precaution is a legal one. If the statement is false, the writer runs the risk of a libel suit. If the statement is true, the question is whether another person's story forms an essential part of your story. Be sure to check with the in-house lawyer of your publishing company. You can also change names, places, and other identifying details. You can leave out details that would be a giveaway to the other person's identity. And sometimes a lawyer will argue that the facts disclosed are matters of genuine public concern. In some cases, the court has concluded that the autobiographer has a right to disclose her own intimate affairs. But the writer needs to remember the disclosure must be highly offensive to a reasonable person to be a legal matter. So I say it's best to seek legal advice from a lawyer in your jurisdiction. Don't assume anything. If you're going to make a mistake, make it on the conservative side. And, you know, even in an oral interview, I remember before my interview on Dr. James Dobson's family radio program, I had to submit the names, addresses, and phone numbers of people who had known me most of my life and the name and phone number and address of my pastor. Someone called all the people on the list and talked to them at length. In fact, one woman told me, we talked more than an hour. And I was willing to submit copies of the divorce decree, my son's death certificate, or anything else that they wanted because I wanted to make sure that we were all covered. Hmm. You know, you're talking here about legal responsibility. How how did you handle the responsibility of, of actually... Um, you know, you're telling your story, and of course your ex-husband is a huge part of your story, but it's also his story. And so how did you deal with the fact that a publishing that would have such a direct effect on him? But first of all, I changed my last name shortly after the divorce. And in my book, I do not tell his place of employment. I don't tell what he did for a living. I leave out a lot of things that would identify the person. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, and I think um, I think you know a lot of times a parent of a troubled teen will want to um, write about their experience to help other parents of troubled teens, and I think we need to be very prayerful and careful to yes. not defame someone because honestly, people have a kind of a bad habit of leaving a person in the place where they last heard about that person. So if, for example, your teen is struggling as you write your article or your book, but then they move on to not be struggling, people who read about them will leave them struggling in their minds forever unless they hear something different. And so I think it's so important for us to really uh, be careful with people's identities and with um, locking them into something that Jesus doesn't lock them into. There's always hope with God for people to change. There's always, until their very last breath, there's opportunity for them to make a different choice. Uh, Just address that for a moment. Absolutely. We can't put a label on someone. It would be like a teacher taking a kindergartner and saying, that is a special needs child forever. May not be a special needs child at all. And certainly not forever. And I know that if God can change me, he can change anybody. Me too. (laughs) And I... There's you know, hope in that. Yeah. And if God could speak through a donkey and use a donkey, he can use anyone. <laughs> right. But there's a couple things that you tell writers to acknowledge and admit before going public with their story. What are those? Acknowledge your pain and loss and admit you still grieve. Some Christians assume they have to be strong. They can't cry. They can't admit pain. One man told me when his wife received a diagnosis of breast cancer, he had to be strong for her. And he wouldn't admit he was scared. He wouldn't let his wife see him cry. And he was always scared that he would break down in front of her. And what happened is that she felt alone in her fear and pain. They both could have been a source of support and encouragement to each other. And instead, he's putting on a facade. Christian woman I know lost her father a couple of years after she lost her mother. Hmm. At the celebration of life service, you would have thought she was at a party or a wedding. She smiled and she would tell people, oh, I'm just fine. I know where he is. After all the people went in the sanctuary for the celebration of life service, she walked in last. I happened to turn around at that moment and I saw her smile switch to a look of sadness. And she put her hand over her mouth to muffle her crying. It would have been so much better just to admit, acknowledge the pain. 
acknowledge the loss. And it won't ruin a testimony. God made us with tear ducts. You can use them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Marnie, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. And he knew he would raise him from the dead. And if we look at Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1, 2, and 4, it says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And David, in Psalm 6, 6, said, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. And in Psalm 42, 3, he said, My tears have been my food day and night. So when you lose a loved one, special occasions are difficult. When my mother passed away six years ago, she did so before Mother's Day. That same year, my only child passed away three days mm. after Mother's Day. Huh. Mother's Day is still painful for me. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I know they're in heaven, but I can't call them. I can't visit them. Right. I can't send right. them a card or a gift. Don't miss them. Yeah. Right. And it's okay to admit that you still grieve and to present yourself as a human being with both weaknesses and strengths. Your readers cannot identify with you if you present yourself as a superwoman. What are uh, cannot, Yeah, what are what are uh, a couple things that can help with that? What do you need to include throughout your writing to help people? I mean, you don't just want to be, you know, sad all the time in your writing. Oh no, uh, no, no, no. So, how, 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 where is the balance? What do you need to include throughout it? Your audience wants to hear about you. And you will cheat them out of that if you focus on other people's stories. So one item you need to include is your own personal story. Whatever point you make, you can bring it to life with your own stories. For example, one of my points is you can't move from broken to beautiful overnight. And I tell the story of my son's graduation from and his celebration of life because the first event was shortly after the divorce. The second event was years later. And I could go with God's help. I could go with his strength and his courage. And a second item to include throughout the writing is scripture. You might want to start or end each chapter with a scripture that offers peace, hope, love, mercy. You may want to have characters in your personal stories, quote scripture, that offers release from the past and redemption for a glorious future. For example, Psalm eighteen twenty eight says, 
You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. You can end with scripture prayer in which you weave a Bible verse into a prayer. If we were to take that same Psalm 1828, the prayer could be, Dear Lord, I recognize that you keep my lamp burning. I thank you, God, that you turn my darkness into light. Amen. You might want to include an appendix with additional Bible verses that address God's presence, power, peace, and comfort. You might want to include another appendix with Bible verse prayers or an appendix of affirmations on who the reader is in Christ. And that is why that reader can overcome the painful past. So much... um... There's so much power in the word. And I love that just like, um, just like uh, you know, when you're slicing something into for a good purpose, you know, whether you're chopping vegetables or, you know, whatever you're doing, when you slice it into, you take something away and you leave something. There's two sides to it. And the Bible, that is what it says it is. It's helping to break away, to cut away those things that are harmful, painful, sad, and it's, and it's giving life. And it never feels good to have surgery, <laughs> but <laughs> it is good. It is good to have surgery and have the, those bad, painful parts cut out and be, have them be gone. And it does take some healing afterwards, but Scripture throughout is such a great, great way to make sure that they are receiving uh, both the benefit of having the bad cutaway as well as the balm, the healing salve of of God's love on that place. And it's so important to include that. We're going to take just a short break and we're going to come back and talk about the two things the reader needs to know and what you must provide the reader throughout your article or book. We'll be right back. women's Bible study or know someone who does, check out BibleStudyExpo.com. That's www.BibleStudyExpo.com. Here you'll meet the authors of the most recently released Bible study books for women. You'll meet Liz Curtis-Higgs, Lisa DeVere, Pam Farrell, Elisa Morgan, and dozens of other Bible study book authors. Each author is given 15 minutes to share the story behind her book, her ideal audience, and a little bit about the study's format so you can decide which Bible studies you want to introduce next. It's all available to you free and online at www.biblestudyexpo.com. That's www.biblestudyexpo.com. Are you enjoying every single bite eating with God? If not, visit www.eatingwithgod.com. That's eatingwithgod.com. Discover the easiest, most enjoyable way to move from where you are with food today to where God wants you to be in His perfect time and way. There are free daily bite recordings available to you at www.eatingwithgod.com or you can purchase the entire set of Daily Bites, 31 individual daily MP3 words of encouragement, plus the book, Gasping for Grace, 31 daily devotionals for discouraged dieters. To start moving toward your God-given ideal weight, visit www.eatingwithgod.com. That's www.eatingwithgod.com. 
Welcome back. This is Marty, and we are on the final stretch here of our training with Yvonne Ortega of YvonneOrtega.com today on how to effectively write about your painful past. And that's not such an exciting topic, but it's an important topic. We're going to talk next, Yvonne, about the two things readers need to know. One of the things the reader needs to know is what you learned from your painful past. All of that was not in vain. And in my writing, I call what I learned life lessons. And the, the life lessons are truly good that came from my painful past. For example, when I went through breast cancer, I learned you can't move from broken to beautiful alone. And as Americans, we pride ourselves on our independence and self-sufficiency. But during aggressive chemotherapy and 33 rounds of radiation, Mm -hmm. I could not be independent and self-sufficient. In fact, my doctor told me she wouldn't give me my chemotherapy treatment if I didn't have someone to drive me home. That was so hard for me. Mm -hmm. Imagine. To ask for help. But I had no choice. Um, yeah, my sister, when she was going through that, she would call them chemo buddies. <laughs> and and um, it's it's uh, she really she really turned it into um, a time a time to develop relationships and friendships uh, with those gals that would drive her and sit with her and um, yeah, it's it's such a it's such a crazy thing, but there can be good that comes out of it. There can be there God promises good to come out of everything that we yield to him. So there there is good. We just maybe can't see it at the time. We definitely don't you know, at the time we would never say, Oh yeah, I would have picked this for that outcome. You know, that's pretty tough to get to in the moment. But later you can look back and see what you've learned. Um I, and I don't know if this is your second thing, but before we go to the second thing, uh, the other thing I was thinking about what you've learned is just it's just the perception that changes. You have such a different perception looking back on it. When you write, Yvonne, do you usually write with the story first and the outcome perception change or life change after, or do you start with the current day and then go back and tell the story of how you got there? I'll switch back and forth. It depends on where I am. And one time in a chapter, I started with, this is where I was. This is Mm -hmm. where I am now. How did I get there? And then I went back and I told about that. So you can... In the same in the same book, is it possible to do that within a book to kind of flip back and forth how you're going? You know, in in the cancer book, I didn't. In the second book, moving from broken to beautiful, I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I made, I always weaved in scripture, and I always let them know that I've learned, I've changed, I've grown. 
Mm. And God didn't waste any of it, any of that painful past. And that's what the writer needs to make clear to the reader. That if you pray about it, God will take every bit of that and use it for good. Mm-hmm. Use it for his honor and glory. Use it to further his kingdom on earth. And I always tell people, I'm a better person. When I was in full-time practice as a professional counselor, which I went into after the divorce when I returned to college and studied, that I was a better counselor for having gone through breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that's true. And and the Bible even talks about that. That's one of the things we can know for sure is that we walk through a trouble with God that we are going to be more useful to him in comforting others in the future. And we can know that for sure uh, going through any trial. That's the one thing we can for sure count on. And then there's usually surprise things that come out of it as well. What is another thing a reader needs to know as you're writing about your painful past? The writer needs to know that you have moved forward, that you are living the life Christ promised in John 10.10. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If the author focuses only on the stealing, killing, and destroying and not on the abundant life that came afterwards, it's giving the reader a despairing message. And another thing, this life, this abundant life, is not not a claim to health and wealth. If we look at the context of John 10.10, we see that John 10 develops a biblical theme of the sheep, and the shepherd. So as a Christian writer, you are Christ's sheep and you follow your shepherd. And only when you live with Christ that life is worth living and you begin to live in the real sense of the word. And I often tell people, yes, I've been through domestic violence. Yes, I went through divorce and single parenting and breast cancer and four car accidents in seven years. None of them were my fault, but I still went through them. And multiple family losses in one year. But I am happier now than I've ever been. I'm doing far more than I ever dreamed I would do. Hmm. And I'm not living a perpetual pity party. I do not feel sorry for myself. And I don't want anyone else to. Yeah, that's truly the, uh, <laughs> that is truly the litmus test is, is uh, if, if when you're by yourself, you're still rerunning everything and, and uh, you know, stirring it all up all the time and, and uh, feeling sorry for yourself or if you're truly okay in God's love. And, you know, it's one thing when you get stirred up by someone, well, something that happens, either an event that happens. And, you know, for those of you who are earlier on in the, in the grief process with a loss, a painful past, 
you're going to have things that surprise you still, things that just um, you never expected that receiving an award or having a certain smell come into your sphere would cause you to have an emotional response. But all of these things are are just there. They're just there. And it doesn't, your emotional response isn't really the problem. The, the question is what do you do with the remo- emotional response when you get it? So even whether it's a thought or a visual or whatever it is that comes into your awareness, what do you do when you have that? And you can tell a pretty big difference between when you're ready to write about it when you're not based on your reaction to those things. Uh, for you, Yvonne, at this point, you know, you're talking, you know, several years out now from both of um, both your uh, son's death as well as your uh, leaving, leaving your abusive marriage. Do you still at this point have things that just shock you with the intensity of the emotion that hits you? You know, every now and again, and like at the funeral six years ago, I had a trigger Mm. because my ex-husband came and leaned his head on my shoulder and sobbed. And all I could think of was, you have your wife and your own child from your second marriage with you. Why aren't you leaning on their shoulder instead of mine? Mm. I didn't say it. Mm -hmm. And you know... I I went right back to God. I said, God, I don't want this feeling. I don't want this. Take it away. Help me see him as a wounded person. And God Mm -hmm. said, it is his way of apologizing. And my, my thought was, it's a small way, too small for me. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. I had to go back to the Lord again. Yeah. And he really helped yeah. me through it because mm. I asked him for help and I was willing to receive it. Mm. So beautiful. So beautiful. We're coming coming down to the end of the hour here, Yvonne. What uh, what must the writer provide the reader throughout the story, the article, the book, the blog, whatever it is, where the painful past is being discussed? Application, application, application. What's in it for the reader? What questions? What affirmations? What scriptures? What helpful links? What resources? What list of books will you provide? It isn't about the author. It's about the reader that God has called you to minister to. Take care of the reader and God will take care of you. Well, that's just frameable right there. (laughs) Right. Take care of the reader and God will take care of you. I love that. That is such a great quote. Um, It is so true that when we are focusing on meeting our own needs, whether it's the need to tell the story, the need for people to recognize that the situation wasn't your fault, the need to earn money, whatever it is, if it's not, if if our focus is not on God and what he's flowing through us at the time, then we truly are going to miss 
the opportunity to minister because we are not, we don't have our focus in the right direction. I, I love this last point, application, 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 what's in it for the reader. That's so great. And uh, honestly, did you, like, did you do that in your first book, Dig Time? Did you already know that? Or did, is that something you kind of learned as you became a more experienced writer? I went to several major Christian writers' conferences, and the very first one I went to, Mm. the facilitator said, a reader is a selfish person. (laughs) A reader wants to know what's in it for her. So put something for the reader. And that's when I said, questions, prayers, a scripture, hope. Love it. Yeah, hope, yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Well, you shared so much great content here. Yvonne, if people go over to your website, which, by the way, is www.yvonneortega.com, and it's spelled Y-V-O-N-N-E, Ortega is O-R-T-E-G-A.com. Yvonne, if they go to your website, what are they going to find there? They're going to find my homepage, which is my blog, and they can find a, a place there to sign up for my weekly devotion that I send out, and then periodically I send out a newsletter. They will also find a speaking page that gives mics and they can download my one sheet. They will find a media page with clips from a number of TV interviews on Christian TV stations throughout the country and in um, Toronto, 100 Huntley Street in Full Circle. They will also find a list of all my radio interviews. They will find a page with links, whether it's helpful links for domestic violence, for divorce, for grief, for breast cancer. They're all there. They'll also find a page with free resources, prayers, devotions, things that I've written specifically for the breast cancer patient, the the grieving person, the one going through divorce. And they will find a way to contact me. Great. I encourage you guys to go over and check that out again. The website is com. And Yvonne, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful that you were willing to come and share this content today. And thank you for having me. God bless you richly. Thank you. And thank you all for being here. It's been such a pleasure to spend the afternoon with you. And I hope that you really were encouraged and helped with this training program. If you want to learn more about what I do, check over at Marnie.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.